Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, a podcast for teachers of physics made by physics teachers. Physics teachers like me, Robin Griffiths, a full-time teacher of physics all the way up to A-level from year eight. And physics teachers like me, Thomas WP, a part-time A-level mostly physics teacher, little bit of year seven, but I'm currently teaching reproduction. Interesting, Ooh. interesting times. Well, but it's, we've moved on to germination, so I, I've set them a, a homework of, of making a seed germinate, which should be fun. Oh, bless them! That's a great idea. Yes, what a nice homework to set. Yes, but I'm doing a terrible thing, Robin. I'm drinking a, I'm drinking podcast. <laughs> I'm doing a terrible <laughs> thing, Robin. I'm podcasting after a couple of drinks because I've had a very frustrating day. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, uh, you'd never guess you've been drinking. This is now take twenty-seven, <laughs> listener. By the way, just in case you were. But uh, yeah, um, but uh, tell tell me, tell me, uh, what what was? Why was your day frustrating? Uh, what make you feel this way? I'll I'll stick to the teaching things. Firstly, I'm I I like many people. The, the kind of novelty of teaching remotely is wearing off. Um, and I was I've been making videos for the kids, and they've been pretty successful. And I was I'd thought I had this brilliant idea that I'd make very short videos working through multi-choice questions. And I've been making stuff in forms, Microsoft forms. I've been doing quite a lot of branching in forms, which is where they, they get taken to a different question depending on their answer. And I was under the impression that once they'd answered B, and if it was wrong, they went to question three, they couldn't go back. And not only did I work out that they could watch my video explaining how to get the answer and then go back and change their answer. <laughs> I also uh, got very frustrated with the question. I was doing this under quite a lot of time pressure today and uh, sent it to you. And you said, well, it's obviously C. And I couldn't, could, just couldn't see it. Uh, and then, as you know, you pointed out that it was one of the ones where state the answer that's not correct. Yes. So I hadn't read the question. So that was very frustrating. Well, isn't it? Th this is the thing that those questions, I, I never like those questions uh for, for all sorts of reasons, because I do think they, they are designed half to confuse the student rather than to actually test their knowledge. And, and I always find that a bit difficult. And it is this sort of thing, you've got to try and pick out the answer that is incorrect. And intuitively, that just isn't right. And we spend our lives looking for the right answer. Mm, exactly. And, and in that one, you've got three right answers and, and one that's wrong, and you've got to pick out the wrong one. But if you misread it, or you get the wrong end of the stick, or you just glance over it, you, you can easily go horribly wrong with those so I, I know i don't like those questions but um but it's one of those things and also i always tell my kids that that always 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 check the question don't answer the question you think it is answer the question it is make sure you read that question and, and deconstruct it and don't just sit there and think oh it's that question and answer it because that that's nine times out of ten where you'll go wrong yeah and i i model not reading the question a lot and now i've got it on film it's it's genius <laughs> anyway my frustrating day went on i went mm -hmm. into school today because i thought oh, what i would do i'd do a really perfect you know how much i love the young modulus i even made a youtube video on the physics teaching podcast channel mm -hmm. i made i thought i'd go in and do the young modulus and i'd be i'd do nichrome versus constantan and i would get really good results i'd send them the results and they could work out which one was which brilliant cunning wheeze so i went in set it all up Halfway through, gathering results, all looks great. The G-clamp slipped because our labs were designed without asking the teachers and the, the lip is about a centimetre and a half and the mm. G-clamp slipped. That was frustrating. So then I did it all again with an extra G-clamp and that was fine. Got the results, all looked perfect, did the results and Constantan, 1.2 gigapascals. Nichrome, 1.2 gigapascals. Ooh, sounds like your Nichrome and Constantan were actually the same wire. 
Yeah, well, that's what it sounds like to me, despite being clearly labeled. They, one, mm. I think one was 1.220. I, I need to look at the results. So one, they were like right the opposite ends of what 1.2 could be. So I think one was 1.155 and one was 1.245 or something. Oh, okay. So then I looked so, up the actual values and it was, they're miles off. They're miles off. Yeah. So I've always found this, the young modulus ones that you do with a wire. And there's all sorts of reasons why measuring uh, young modulus of a wire is is different from measuring the actual young modulus of the material because you know it's supposed to be a, a, what is it an intensive property isn't it it's supposed to be a property of the material and it doesn't matter what context you measure the young modulus of copper in whether it's a block of copper or a, a copper wire it will always be the same and of course it's not true because you know wires inherently behave differently there's surface effects and there's all sorts of things that come into play aren't they? yeah exactly i mean i'm looking at the results now and i actually it was 1.21 and 1.24 i mean just hopeless mm. just hopeless yeah because small wires, thin wires, neck, don't they? No, that's another yeah, thing. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I just don't know. I don't think it was gigapascals either looking at the results. It's 1.2 times 10 to the 11, so that's, what, 120 gigapascals? Um, that sounds real, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, the, and then the real answer of a nichrome is 150, and the real answer of a constant is 160. So it was all very frustrating. Oh. I've got beautiful – I've got absolutely classic graphs, though. I mean, they're, they're – graphs to be proud of so i was definitely doing it right it's just the wires just don't behave like you say like you expect but that that doesn't sound sound too out so you got the site pretty much the same value for both and they are pretty much the same yeah value exactly so the, this and you're in the ballpark i'm in the ballpark okay. thank you make, that does make me feel better actually fear not dear listener i actually checked my spreadsheet later after not a couple of drinks and discovered much to my delight that not only was there an error in the spreadsheet also, my research that I'd done under quite a lot of pressure, time pressure at school, I'd looked up and got the value for Nichrome's Young Modulus wrong as well. So the actual values I got were pretty close, 198 gigapascals for Nichrome and 124 gigapascals for Constantan. So off we go. I can set that work. I'm very happy. Back to the podcast. Anyway, so that was my frustrating day. The novelty is wearing off for me. I don't know about you. Oh, well, it's difficult. To, it's difficult to try and keep it fresh, and also because the novelty is wearing off on the kids as well. And so I'm starting to get emails from my SLT now saying, "Oh, they've they've worked out ways to sort of appear as if they're online when they're not, and all these sorts of things." And and I always get a little bit worried about those because it's kind of like, well, exactly what am I supposed to do about that? <laughs> it's kind of like, how am I supposed to deal with that? I don't, you know, it's it's sort of alerting me to it is one thing, but that's just sort of handing me an in, 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 unsolvable problem and saying, no, it's, it's your your problem to handle. So, yeah, I think there are some difficulties. And so I, I think what I'm, I'm starting to realize is that I've got to get a lot more involved and into the assessment bit and, uh, you know, making sure that, um, you know, using things like Microsoft Forms and stuff like that it, it is more to the forefront and that, that that's kind of keeping them honest to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I use Teams a lot, and they have to hand in something. And I've used Forms a lot, uh, and I've got involved in this group, Groups IO thing, where people are sharing the forms they've made. Oh, yeah. Have I mentioned that to you? No, I hadn't heard about this one. Well, tell me more. Tell me more. This sounds good. Oh well, I do subscribe to PTNC, that slightly strange mailing list, and if you still do. And someone posted on there that there was a lot of work going on in forms and maybe we should share it. And so I signed up for that. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Physics Quizzes. Uh, and when I went in there, there's lots of people sharing links with all sorts of things, but they were sharing them in Word documents. So, of course, naturally, me being a geek, I made a said, well, why don't we use the database function? And now looking at it, there are 53 
quizzes for physics in there. Oh, good. Okay. And my my theory is I'll I'll eventually when I get the time and remember I will port them over to our resources.physicsteachingpodcast.com site. Mm, lovely. Um, so yeah, there's that's it's uh, groups.io slash physics quizzes, I think. Okay. So you can dive in there and look up. So if you want them oscillations or wave behavior, there's people have made quizzes and shared them. Oh, that's brilliant. So we, we've got some shared quizzes online, which will save uh, a lot of time. But, and I still go with the, the, the basic fundamental idea that you keep snappy stuff that's, you know, 10, 15 minute activities that, that then have an outcome that, that you can sort of get some kind of handle on. Those are the ways to go. But it is that getting the handle on things at home that's quite tricky. So Teams is quite good for that. Yeah, Teams is good for that. And uh, but forms are good for that. I've done this branching, like I say, and I only just realized today that if they branch and if they get it wrong, I've taken them to a thing with for one point that explain gives them a hint and then they can get it. But they, I hadn't realized they can go back and answer the first one correctly. <laughs> and then I thought, does that actually matter? Yeah, All exactly. we're trying to do is teach them and get them to learn something. Yeah, exactly. It's not like this is uh, this is summative assessment. It's just um, it's just <laughs> an attempt to, to get them to, to go through. So yeah, if they want to go back and do it. We've always had that kind of attitude with um, past paper questions that we we say you know they're all available online so if the, if the kid's got the gumption to go and, and find them and go through them and find the answers and work them out and do all that sort of stuff well you know to be honest that, that's that's pretty good going yeah all well and good mm. yeah <laughs> I, I have had one kid pop up this week who hasn't been handing anything in all the time he suddenly popped up and he's up to date he handed in on time and i said oh thank you very much for handing he said yes i've been speaking to some year 13 friends who are upset about their grades because they didn't do very well in their mock so I I played dumb on that because that'll be based on their their UCAS grade, won't it? Not on, not on the grades we've given them for A level. It's just based on everything before COVID. So I don't mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, sort of. I think. I mean, it's, it's kind of yeah, predicted grades and uh, and rankings and all that sort of stuff, and then uh, and then they'll compare it to previous results, won't they? So. All, all very yeah. difficult, but um, I think uh, it, year thirteen because they tend to be small cohorts. That those where there might be a little bit more more rigor room. But I, I think it is good that that students are sitting there thinking, "Oh dear, I should have worked harder," and they're getting that message to year twelve. Yeah, it goes back to what we said before. Hmm. Anyhow, as I said said many times on the podcast, we digress. We are finally going to. Turn- introduce the interview you did with mark wally aren't we yeah absolutely and uh, and um not before time it is good actually that we've waited we've given this the proper build-up because um, mark is always a, a, an education and a wonderful guy to speak to uh, mark was a, a head teacher um uh, as well as being a physics teacher and he's now uh, the education manager at the iop for england so he looks after uh, basically the, the the sort of physics cpd that the iop provide for for teachers uh, in england uh, which is great so um he works with people like jess rosen friend of the podcast and um uh very loads of other iop folk that we've had on over 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 the time so um a very good guy well let's have a listen well hi i'm mark wally i work for the institute of physics in various roles i am an education manager working with colleagues across england i'm also the project manager of Keep Teaching, which is a research trial, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. And I also am a teacher support coach. Thanks, Mark. Well, it's very kind of you to join us. And thanks ever so much. And I did want to start off actually asking about Keep Teaching. I have heard tell of this. Tell us more. What's what's this about? So we've known for some time, both anecdotally and through hard data, that we have a challenge within physics education. Data shows that quite a high proportion of early career physics teachers leave the profession in the first five years 
And these are those teachers with the enthusiasm and the, the novel ideas. And we we desperately need to retain them within the profession. And what makes this also a perfect storm, I suppose, is that over recent years, we've also found it challenging to bring um, teachers in to physics teacher training. So simultaneously, we're losing teachers and we're, we're struggling to train them. So the idea behind Keep Teaching is to build a solid evidence base which we can then share with school leaders and policymakers within education so that they can adapt practices in schools, which may make it more likely that those teachers in the first four or five years of their career stay in teaching. And if that is successful, we also hope that an upshot of this is that those who are contemplating physics teaching may be more likely to train and also become classroom teachers. So you're looking for a kind of evidence base here for how to hang on to your physics teachers. Absolutely. That, that's the plan. And the way that it, it's working, it, it's a three-handed um, operation. We're being funded by the Education Endowment Foundation with money from the Wellcome Trust. And IOP are managing the project. And the data that we collect is being analysed by the team at the Institute of Education at UCL. And over the course of three years of intervention and then several years of analysis and follow up, we hope that the evidence base can be put in place to show whether certain interventions are more effective at keeping hold of teachers. We're recruiting 300 schools. They need to have a physics NQT. And by physics NQT, we're actually being quite specific here. We need somebody who identifies as a physics teacher with a physics or engineering background. And half of those, what we call matched pairs, teachers and schools, will go into our control sample and half will go into an intervention sample, which is determined by the folks at UCL. So, in fact, IOP are managers of this project. The, the actual assignment to the intervention is done by the Institute of Education so that it's not contaminated. It is a genuine randomised controlled trial. So if a school is taking on a physics NQT, and this is somebody with a physics or engineering background, uh, you want to hear from them, I guess. Oh, absolutely. If a school is appointing a science or a physics teacher and they happen to be a physics graduate, an engineering graduate, and they're filling a physics post, we would love to hear from them. Heads of science, physics teachers, science teachers can find out an awful lot more at our website, which is iop.org forward slash keep dash teaching. And on there, it will give all the details of the project. What I would say is that it's really important that we try to recruit everybody before the 31st of May this year. So we recognise that this is that time of year when recruitment is happening, when NQTs are finding positions. So absolutely, Robin, we'd love to hear from somebody if they've managed to recruit a physics NQT. Lovely. Well, we'll put that uh, link in the show notes. So if anybody missed it there, don't worry. We'll have that in the show notes. You can pick up on it there and get in touch with Mark. So what would your advice be to a physics teacher or perhaps a head of physics or a head of science who's talking to a physics teacher who's thinking of leaving the profession? What, what sort of things could you consider, could they do? In terms of retaining them within teaching, uh, I mean, the first bit of advice I would give is certainly seek out other challenges. An obvious one is contacting the IOP, find out about the Stimulating Physics Network and see if they can be part of that. So it can provide them with maybe a new challenge, develop their coaching skills. I'd also suggest that colleagues to retain them in schools would contemplate leadership roles because physics teachers make 
very good leaders. But it would be looking for challenge. And certainly if I reflect on my own career, I think after four or five years, I was looking for novel challenges. And so I think a lot of school leaders now are so keen to retain physics teachers. I'm not going to say that you're pushing at an open door, but I think that school leaders will be receptive to hearing ideas about how individual teachers can be retained and continuously engaged in the job. So it sounds like the advice there is sort of think carefully about what it is you want um, from your career, and that might be to do more within the real realm of physics and perhaps contact the IP and explore coaching as, as a potential way forward. It could be within the school to look for leadership and, again, think about what that might look like and go and present that as, as a potential plan to your line manager or school leader to talk that through with them. Yeah, very much so. I, I think we, we tend to make assumptions as classroom teachers that our senior leaders in schools are meant to have all the answers and are all knowing and all wise having been there the one thing I I can guarantee you we don't know all the answers and at times we're quite relieved that somebody comes in with a fresh idea and I certainly used to be quite open to somebody coming to me and saying you know I'd really like to try this because school leaders can't think of everything And in fact, often it's those novel ideas, those fresh approaches, which can be most persuasive and most powerful. And I I think another thing worth bearing in mind with this, that school leaders in secondary phase have probably been teaching quite a long time. But we're talking about teachers often in the first four or five years of their career. Training isn't something that's in the dim, distant past, and they're still full of really fresh, novel ideas. Let's take an example of myself, technological issues. I've always been fascinated to listen to early career teachers bringing novel ideas to me that we could share with staff. And in fact, I I think a really good example is a physics teacher I've worked with for the last couple of years. He was an IOP scholar. We were mentoring him on the Future Physics Leaders program. And he was just filled with fantastic ideas to do with technology, CPD, and his school let him run with these. If you go to your school leaders and say, look, you know, this, this is the situation. I'm just a bit worried being a bit isolated in my school that my physics professional development isn't being taken care of. Is it OK if instead of going to the gym this year and spending a, a day talking to colleagues about teaching in a more generic sense, that I take that time and use it to pursue my physics CPD with the IOP uh, with a local coaching program, with perhaps Physics Partners or another charity. Would, would that be something, do you think, for school leaders would be keen on listening to? I suspect it might be mixed, in, in truth, because even though I personally would welcome that sort of approach, I, I do recognise as well that there are times that when we're in the classroom, we don't necessarily get to see the bigger picture. One thing that I discovered as I, I moved up through senior leadership is you st- start spotting connections that you didn't really appreciate existed until you could look down on the organization from above. And there are times when I think it's important that senior leaders themselves make those connections. So if I give you an example, there have been times in the past when I unfortunately have said to colleagues, I really don't want you to follow a certain CPD path because our priority is in A, B and C for the benefit of the whole school. However, saying that, I think what an individual can do is think through the benefits of the specific CPD that they want and see how that will apply to the whole school. A really good example would be IOP coaching. Over the course of the last couple of years, I've been involved in a couple of coaching events. And when discussing with the teachers who would attend those events, how it is that they could discuss this with their senior leaders and be released and given that time, we talked about the benefits for the whole school. 
pennies dropped with school leaders. If one of their physics teachers came to an IOP coaching event, actually not only would they be more adept at developing the physics content within the science department, actually they'd become better coaches across the school and they could have a broader impact. So my advice to colleagues out there would be identify what it is you want to do and then find ways that this could benefit the whole school community, even if it requires a little bit of creative thought to see how the connections can be made. You mentioned um, FPL Future Physics Leaders Projects, and I just wondered if you could talk us through the IOP strategy, their targets for pupils from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, and how you're looking to address those things in future. The IOP strategy, we have six aspirations overall, one of which is that we hope that every secondary school pupil in the UK and Ireland will have access to a specialist physics teacher. And the second one is girls to make up at least 30% of those taking physics at age 16 to 19. And we'd also like to double the number of young people from black and minority ethnic and so lower socioeconomic backgrounds taking physics from ages 16 to 19. The FPL program, the Future Physics Leaders program, has now come to an end and we've been working in some challenging areas on that, developing physics teachers, and hopefully this will have a, a legacy in terms of improving uptake of physics at post-16 in these areas in which we see more young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And I suppose that coming up over the the coming years is that through things like the SPN networks, we, we hope there to be able to continue to support schools in more challenging areas, provide relevant CPD opportunities. And also even through the work we're doing through the Improving Gender Balance Initiative, that's really about inclusive teaching. The real point to improving uptake in physics is not just about role models, it's actually about inclusivity. And the IGB trial can, I feel, go a long way, not just to improving the uptake of um, physics amongst girls, but also amongst other communities, which at the moment are underrepresented in post-16 physics. If, again, we've got our lovely listener on their way to work, they're listening to this and thinking, this all sounds great. How, how do I get involved? What, what's the next step for them? Um, the IGB trial is now up and running. We're not taking any more schools on that. However, the IOP website is just full of resources, and that would be the best route. I would then suggest that if they want more information to get in touch with the IOP and one of our regional education managers would be able to hook you up either with information, have a conversation with you, give you what it is you need and point you in the right direction of local coaches or local events at which these issues will be covered. For instance, last year I went to an event that we held at the Daresbury Lab outside of Warrington. That day covered everything from practical electromagnetism through to improving gender balance. These are the sorts of events where these issues will continue to be discussed and will be accessible to everybody at no cost. We'll put a link in the show notes to the relevant uh, contact areas of the IOP website so people can get in touch with their local education manager and inquire about these sorts of events there. Keeping up with the IOP website for the resources and various things like that. Spark, by the way, using that. Love it. Fantastic. Uh, so uh, all of those are, are great ways to get in touch with IOP. And don't forget Talk Physics. We've got the events on there. And also relevant at the moment, we're keeping it topped up with information and resources for teachers during this lockdown period.
seamlessly done, uh, I must say, Mark, because uh, I was just about to come on to that. We're, we're, we're speaking to you. I mean, it's, in terms of the podcast, we always speak to all of our interviewees remotely. How are you finding it uh, being locked down? Uh, we were talking earlier and you were saying you, you, you saw some opportunities there in terms of CPD. I'm actually trying to see this as a glass half full. There have been too many times in life I've been rather more pessimistic. Actually, this is a time when we've got the opportunity to develop novel ways of producing and disseminating CPD to teachers, which beforehand we may not have done. Traditionally, we've operated as a a face-to-face organization running events in schools or in in local events or or, um, IOP whole days. But clearly at the moment, we're, we're unable to do that. So we're looking, actively looking all the time, in fact, at how we can go more digital I can see for the future, this could then provide us with the opportunities and require us to develop our skills and expertise in delivering CPD digitally. And I think that can only be a good thing because we have colleagues dotted around the country in often hard to reach locations. And this could now widen the IOP reach and bring more of our colleagues across the country into the provision that we aspire to. And I remember actually that in Scotland, this was very much part of their CPD strategy for teachers, because in Scotland, they they hit this problem of of teachers being quite remote and finding it difficult to attend face-to-face sessions. So in Scotland, this whole idea of a digital learning platform was written in at the heart of their policy in terms of teacher CPD. And it's great because the IOP, of course, have a a strong presence in Scotland, Uh, the lovely Stuart Farmer, who's a friend of the podcast and has been on before. So it'll be really interesting to see these areas of the IOP sort of coming together and and working together to to produce the next stage? Yeah, I I again see this as an opportunity. We've we've done some work in England in terms of distance coaching. So one of my colleagues who's now left the IOP but may listen to this, Neil Drury, started off doing some distance coaching and over the course of the next year or so through SPN and so on, we're going to be looking at more distance coaching. We're becoming all a lot more comfortable in using digital platforms to deliver every different type of CPD group events through to one-to-one. Will we be seeing, and, I, I, this is, and I have to ask you about this because uh, I, I once um, had the, the privilege of seeing one of the sessions that you ran for teachers on the power of PER. Is the power of PER going to be making an online uh, appearance sometime soon? You know, I've been learning more and more about some of the functionality of the likes of PowerPoint, which I, I didn't even know it could do certain things. And I've got a feeling I might do a, a digital version of the power of Per, so that it can be deployed uh, from Cornwall to Cumbria without me driving 400 miles to, to actually deliver this. And if you ever do that, do please come back on and tell us about it and, and drop us a link so that we can promote it on the podcast. Do you want to do a quick trail for the power of Per and, and what it involves? Essentially, it boils down to a bugbear that I've got with this word per. So rather than it being the power of per, I I suppose it's almost quite the opposite. Because how often do we use per in everyday life? I I don't suppose we do. And, And young people probably use it very, very rarely, yet is there throughout everything we do in physics. Meters per second, joules per coulomb, you name it, per is in there. And so this came about actually through a real teaching situation where I had a disengaged year 11 class last thing on a Friday afternoon quite a few years ago and they wanted to know how to do physics 
I realized I was getting nowhere with equations. So we started with the units and we started with meters per second and we turned that into meters every second. And pennies started dropping with students and we even went beyond that to acceleration. So rather than talking about meters per second squared, we went back to what I learned when I did O-levels donkeys years ago, meters per second per second. Then we put some pauses in and we had meters per second per second. Then we got rid of the pers meters every second, every second. And bit by bit, we built up the language so that rather than it just being abstract units, it became a descriptive framework within which you could understand physical processes. And it means that utilizing this approach, young people don't have to really worry about too many equations. Um, Density is a great example. Uh, Kilograms per cubic meter, kilograms for every cubic meter. Why would you even need to remember the formula if you know what the units actually mean? And so the power of per is essentially a 40-minute version of what I've said in the last 30 seconds. With, with uh, a lot more entertaining examples, I have to say, that, that, that was entertaining enough, but see it in person and, and you'll go wild for it. So make sure that, that you get yourself along to the IOP website. Find out where your next regional teacher meet is. And if you're lucky enough, uh, maybe Mark will be there uh, doing Power of Per, um, which you, you tends to come under the guise of, of sort of maths for physics, doesn't it, I think? Normally, yes. We tend to advertise it as maths for physics, and I stick the including the Power of Per in brackets afterwards so that colleagues have got some forewarning about what they're going to be in for. Well worth looking up. And thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, Rob. What a lovely man. I I can't wait to see the power of Purr. I think I, I tend to agree with that. I I come at it from a different way, and I think I prefer his way. I just say, you know, the Purr is this really important word that you need to understand. Yeah, I think this is the thing. Mark is a very engaging speaker and a genuinely lovely bloke to spend time with. So I, I do recommend if you can get to a CPD event just to go and shake his hand and say hello. It's it's well worth it. You you, you genuinely go away with a spring in your step having talked to Mark. He's, he's one of those sort of characters who you can't help but be infected by his enthusiasm. Uh, but his power of purr is is just a, a treatise on the idea that the maths in physics, it's, it's there, it's inherent, it's not particularly divorced from the physics sometimes and and that you can use clever ways to to tie the two together and and i think he he makes a great case for that in his power of per talk yeah i I know i know you've seen it i'm going back to what he's doing with with nqts i don't think this will catch on it almost sounds like a double blind trial in in education i thought that was a a banned subject thought we weren't allowed to experiment on children uh, yeah, this is a, a thing called the uh, Education Endowment Foundation, who are a charity who are trying to close some of the social gaps in, in education and, and very much concerned with social mobility and how education can be a facilitator of social mobility. And they did something early on. They, they did um, a, a lot of work. They put a huge amount of money behind randomized control trials, literally double-blind control trials that you come from the, the, the field of um, drug trials and pharmaceuticals and applying those in education. And there is, if you Google teaching and learning toolkit from the EEF, um, the Education Endowment Foundation, you'll find a whole series of 
areas where they've looked into this, they've done actual quantitative research behind uh, the, the uh, various um, uh, interventions and, and things that schools invest their money in to see which ones really work and which ones actually produce a measurable effect on pupils' outcomes. So this is quite appealing to the physics brain, I think. Um, and again, they did get a lot of stick for this. And you're absolutely right, Thomas, that there's a lot of ideological uh, resistance to this, this kind of thing within education. Uh, but fundamentally, all they're doing is, is applying some scientific methods there and their results are, are there to see. So it's, it's an interesting project that they're doing. And they're paying the IOP to look at uh, how to keep physics teachers teaching uh, because it is criminal how few te- physics teachers there are. Uh, the government have missed their recruitment targets. I can't remember for the last again five, and six. Again and again. Yeah, again and again. And also uh, physics teachers then are even more likely to leave the profession than anyone else as well, which is uh, just a, a double whammy on top. So all in all, there's a, there's a, a lot of a, uh, there's a big issue there. And the Education Endowment Foundation, thank goodness, have, have put some money behind looking at uh, what the reasons might be. So I think they're still looking for NQTs, aren't they? So if your school is employing an NQT remotely, if your school is employing an NQT and you think you want to be part of this trial, we will have a link in the show notes to this program and you can get in touch with Mark and and get signed up on the program. Yeah, keep teaching, it's called, yeah. And who knows whether it may um, keep more physics teachers in the profession or a dying breed. Well, this is the this is the idea, and and it is a shame because uh, I think it's the one of the things that I I find an enduring source of of heart rendering sadness is is the fact that that our subject is sort of slowly slipping away into some sort of oblivion. I mean, I sincerely hope it isn't, but it sometimes feels that you know when you when you hear about fewer and fewer physics specialists each year, you hear about people papering over the cracks by talking about this subject called science and and the number of people who who really don't have the passion for the subject who who are forced into teaching it and and we said before those people are heroes for what they do but it's not an ideal situation and and it really does need sorting once and for all it's really not and it's quite sobering that the iop's target and the 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 program i can't remember the name but he mentioned that their their target is to have every child taught by a specialist physics teacher well can you imagine if you talked about maths like that or Mm. or english it's just it's 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 just sad and mm. to have 30 percent girls at a level i mean that sounds so low but that would be du- nearly doubling the number of girls doing a level wouldn't it it's and, and then doubling the number of uh black minority ethnic ethnic it's it's Absolutely. just you know if you talk about that in a sensible way it's just tragic that we're in this position it's terrible that we're in position, particularly at the moment when you, when you see how important and the importance of science has come to the forefront in, in the last couple of months for good reason. But that is because we're facing an acute problem. But science is that important every other month of the year as well and every other year of the decade and so on and so forth. We have global problems that we've got to deal with. We have global warming to deal with. We have all these we are going to be nowhere without a scientific solution to these things at some level. Uh, and so we desperately need more bright people going into physics, engineering, sciences, generally chemistry, uh, biology, all of these things, mathematics, computer science. We need more and more graduates in, in these subjects because we have a genuine, genuine need for them, not for more hedge fund managers. <laughs> well, this period has certainly showed us what a key worker is it's not a hedge fund manager is it it's mm. it's a delivery driver or a nurse or 
a teacher. Mm. Anyhow, I, we've talked a long time, and that's a, a long interview, so I really feel we should spare the listeners' ears. Uh, I think your 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 cry, uh, cry to the scream to the clouds there about the the problems and the embarrassment of the situation of physics teaching is a clarion call to the world, and, and this is why we started the podcast. Really, isn't it? It's trying to mm. keep the enthusiasm. Yeah, and also to everybody who's listening, remember that you are part of the solution. You are doing a great thing. You are doing a, a fabulous and wonderful job in bringing physics to the next generation and it's desperately, desperately needed. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, dear listener. Uh, and <laughs> thank you for listening. I think we'll round it up there. I hope I haven't been too slurring my words or slurring. My, I hope I've been slurring my words too much tonight. Uh, and of course, if you want to contact the physics teaching podcast, yes. we should do this. We should say do get in touch with us if you'd like to let us know anything. If you would like us to put you in touch with Mark Wally for keep teaching, if you would like to do anything like that, or indeed, if you would like to do an intervention for Thomas, uh, <laughs> please, please do get in touch. We are at uh, physics, sorry, at physics TP on twitter physics underscore teaching underscore podcast on instagram uh, contact at the physics teaching podcast.com and uh, there's a contact form on every page of the website the dot physics teaching podcast.com i've made it robin thank you very yeah. much <laughs> yes go, go have a lie down and a cup of coffee and i'll see you next week take care thank you thank you <laughs> thank you for listening to the physics teaching podcast and special thanks this week to mark wally the podcast is presented by Robin Griffiths and me, Thomas WP, and produced and edited by me, Thomas WP. Please get in touch with your stories and practicals. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. In fact, we won't. It's half term. We'll speak to you in two weeks. <laughs>